Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Truth and Justice Season 14, Reply Brief. In this episode, I'm going to do something a little different. As you all know, last week's episode and this week's are both breaking down the prosecutors' part nine. In their episode, they covered both Jay's first and second official recorded interviews. Personally, I think that considering that Jay is the entire basis of the state's case against Adnan, each interview deserves its own thorough analysis. Last week, I did a statement analysis on the first recorded interview that took place just after midnight on February 28th, and this week, I'm going to do the same with his March 15th interview. What I'm not going to do is talk a whole lot about Brett and Alice in this one. I think by now, you all get the point, and I don't want to distract away from the big problems in Jay's stories. So right up front, here's the skinny. As usual, Brett and Alice breeze through this interview. They only address the parts of it that they think are helpful to their case. They explain away problems, they laugh about the idea of folks believing there's some kind of conspiracy here, they tell you this is normal, and they come away sharing their belief that Jay's basically being honest in this one, and he's getting closer to their basic story. I re-listened to the second half of their part nine before writing this episode, and I just don't have the energy to address all their bullshit, if I'm going to be honest with you. So just know, that's how they interpret this interview. What I'm going to do is just focus on the interview itself. I'm going to break down the changes from the first interview, the things that are provably false, and try to source any additions and changes. Before I begin, I want to quickly recap the first interview for some background. In Jay's first interview, he says that Adnan called him the night before the murder, and they made plans for, quote, the next day evening. Then at 10.45 a.m. on the 13th, Adnan calls Jay, and then he picks him up so that they can go do some shopping. No mention of Stephanie's birthday gift. In fact, Jay says that while shopping, they discuss Stephanie because, quote, her birthday is coming up. Around 12.45, Jay drops Adnan back off at school, and Jay goes to Mark Pusateri's house to play video games. Later, Jen shows up and joins them. Jay says he's playing a waiting game at this point because Adnan is supposed to call him on his cell phone around 3 to pick him up. At about 3.45, Adnan calls and tells Jay to meet him at a strip on Edmondson Avenue. Jay makes the 20-minute drive to the strip, where he finds Adnan wearing red gloves. This is where Adnan pops the trunk. Jay and Adnan argue on the corner and begin to draw attention to themselves from the bystanders. And so they go ahead and get in the two cars and they leave. They end up at the park and ride where Adnan leaves Hay's car and Jay specifically says that he doesn't take anything out of it. He just gets out and into his own car with Jay. From there, they go to the cliffs at Patapsco State Park. They smoke a blunt, watch the sun go down for about 30 minutes. No mention of the Nisha call, by the way. Then Jay says that he took Adnan back to school. He never says anything about track practice. Or Adnan needing to be seen, creating an alibi, nothing like that. He just says he takes him back to school. Then he says he picked Adnan up from school at around 6.45 p.m. Then they go to McDonald's to break Adnan's fast. While they're eating, Adnan gets a call from the police. He tells Jay they already know something's happened to Hay. They cut their dinner short and they head to Jay's to get a pick and a shovel. Then they go to the park and ride and get Hayes' car with her body in the trunk. Adnan drives Hayes' car and Jay follows in Adnan's car. They end up at Leakin Park. Here, Adnan tells Jay to go park around the corner and wait. About 15 minutes later, Adnan comes walking up the road. They argue again. Adnan thought Jay had left him. Then he and Jay walk back to where Adnan had dragged Hayes' body into the woods. Jay says there's snow on the ground so he can see pretty well. 
He then says that he himself starts digging the grave. A few minutes later, Rit says that Adnan was the one digging and not Jay. And Jay then goes along with that version. No mention of any calls during the burial. Adnan then buries Hay and they get back into the cars to find a spot to dump Hay's car. Jay says they drove all over town, first to a drug strip, then to another location off Edmondson Avenue. Adnan didn't like that place, so they eventually moved to some parking area behind some row homes in Baltimore City. Then they go to the Westview Mall to throw away Hay's stuff into a dumpster. They argue again. Then they go to 7-Eleven. Jay says he's then driving to his house, but in his story, he never gets there. No mention of Jen picking him up, no mention of wiping fingerprints off shovels, none of that. So that's Jay's actual basic story, the first time he officially tells it on the record. Now let's see what's changed two weeks later. One thing you're going to notice if you read the full transcript is that the detectives seem to pull one over on Jay. I'll get to it when we get to that point in the transcript, but there comes a point where Jay is clearly confused by the detectives turning things around on him. Like they had a conversation before the tape was turned on, Jay thought they were all on the same page, he's going to tell the story they want him to tell, and they're going to use that to bolster their case against Adnan, but then suddenly, once Jay says some incriminating things on the record, they turn on him. Now, if you're in the Adnan is Innocent camp, this makes perfect sense to you. Ritz and McGillivary need to sound like they're actually investigating Jay. They're putting on a show. But whatever the reason, Jay was not expecting this. We get kind of a, hey, what the hell guys from him, and he actually asked them to stop the tape so he can figure out why they seem to be going after him. Like, that was not part of the plan. I'm only telling you that up front so you can be on the lookout for the shift as we move along. Also, just for reference, this is the interview where Susan Simpson caught the tapping on the table. Obviously, I'm working off of a transcript and not audio, so I don't know where the taps are, but there's plenty of information here to do a proper statement analysis. And in fact, I think the things we're going to discuss from this interview mesh very well with Susan's tapping theory. With that, let's start from the beginning of the interview. Just like the last one, this one begins with McGillivray asking Jay to tell him what he knows, starting with the 12th, the day before the murder. And just like last time, Jay tries to unload a lot of information right up front, like in one paragraph. I'm going to read his first interaction to you so you can hear the litany of problems we find right off the bat. Quote, McGillivray, okay, um, why don't you go ahead and tell us what you know about the death of Hay Lee? Jay, starting... McGillivary, starting with the 12th. Jay, okay, um, on uh, morning of the 12th, I had a left out, went shopping with a friend of mine, an ex-friend of mine, and uh, we uh, went to, uh, uh, I just believe, went to Walmart. I pick up little things. It was my birthday. Um, he dropped me at my house and returned to school. Later that day, um, oh, I'm sorry, prior to that, we had a conversation. Um, topic of the conversation was uh, relationships. During the conversation, he stated um, that he was going to kill that bitch, referring to Haley. Uh, I didn't. I, I took it with context and stand out my inaudible. We went. He dropped. He turned me to my house. Uh, I paged Jennifer Pusateri. Um, no, I'm sorry. Yes. I paged Jennifer Pusateri. Um, we had went to Gelston Park. Um, she had her dog with her. There I told her what the conversation me and Adnan had had earlier that day. And her reaction was just about the same. And then uh, later that day, I went to Champs, uh, celebrated my birthday. Returned home about 10 o'clock. Received another call from Adnan. This time he had told me uh, that we're going to hook up tomorrow. And that was it for the 12th, end quote. Now, that's a whole lot in one blurb. First, the context. This is the day before the murder, and now we hear that on that day, that Tuesday, Adnan and Jay are out shopping at Walmart. Remember I told you last week that when Jay slipped up and said he was shopping with Adnan on the 13th, and he said that Steph's birthday was coming up, but he didn't say he bought Stephanie a gift? Well, his little slip-up indicated to me, as you heard, that the shopping trip that he was talking about happened before Stephanie's birthday, not on the day Hay was killed. So he corrects that here. He adds a shopping trip on the day before. To keep things in context, this is now the shopping trip that he described as happening on the 13th in his first interview. But it seems like what McGillivray really wants to get Jay to say 
is that Adnan told him his plan to kill Hay the day before. Now, we can't read taps in a transcript. What we can do is read Jay again apologizing, either adding to or changing what he had just said. He does it twice in just this paragraph. I pick up little things. It was my birthday. Um, He dropped me at my house and returned to school. Later that day, um, oh, sorry. Prior to that, we had a conversation. There are two tells here. As I stated, he's apologizing for one. He knows he messed something up and he's saying he's sorry. But the more significant tell to me is the O. Later that day, um, oh, sorry. The O is a reaction to something. McGillivary isn't saying anything that we can hear, but it seems like he's clearly indicating something to Jay. Imagine him pointing to a bullet point on a script of sorts, something Jay had missed. Oh, sorry. Then Jay reads it. Then we hear Jay get confused again, but then he confirms that he did get it right the first time. I paged Jennifer Pusateri. Um, no, sorry. Yes, I paged Jennifer. So we're less than a page in, and I'm just doing a straight statement analysis without any preconceived ideas about the case. I'm already seeing indications that the investigators are leading this witness. They're influencing what he says. They're giving him indicators that he is reacting to. Now, obviously, I do have a bias in this case, but I can tell you that if I didn't, I'd still be on high alert at this point. I can tell the witness is reacting to the detectives leading, and I would want to know why. Despite what you've heard on that other podcast, this is not normal, nor is it okay. Once Jay's back on track, McGillivray asks about the conversation at Walmart on the 12th. Here, Jay says that Adnan told him that Hay had broken his heart, and quote, he told me, he said, almost jokingly, I think I'm going to kill her. Yeah, I think I'm going to kill her, end quote. So Jay's saying that they're just shopping. Jay mentioned his girlfriend, which prompts Adnan to tell him Hay broke his heart. Then he says he thinks Adnan is joking when he says that he thinks he's going to kill Hay. And here's where McGillivary traps him. He takes the liberty of changing Jay's story for him. McGillivary, however, the whole purpose of him being with you that day was to ask you for your assistance. Jay, yes. McGillivary, of killing her. Jay, yes, uh, not so much in killing her, but in dispose, McGillivary interrupts, in disposing of her body. Jay, yes. End quote. Jay at that point is officially fucked. In his version, the purpose of the trip was just to do some shopping, and the conversation had just come up where Adnan said he was going to kill Hay. But Jay said he just thought he was joking. But then McGillivary changes that to the purpose of the entire trip was to premeditatively recruit Jay to help bury Hay's body. Now, he didn't just find out about the murder after the fact. At this point, he knew it was going to happen ahead of time, which means he could have stopped it. Instead, he helped plan it. And again, just doing a straight statement analysis, I can already see the writing on the wall. Jay demonstrated in the first exchange that he's willing to be led by the detectives and change his story to fit whatever they want him to say. He did that with the, oh, I'm sorry's. And as soon as he did that, McGillivary uses that trust to completely change his story on tape. Jay just confessed to helping plan Hayes' murder. Recorded. And from this point forward, he belongs to McGillivary. Something Jay doesn't realize until later. Jay now says that Adnan told him that he was going to do it in Hay's car. Now remember, in the last interview, nothing came up about Adnan killing Hay until they were shopping the next day. Jay had no idea where Adnan had killed her. But now, not only does he know, he knew the day before. He says Adnan told him that he was going to say that his car was broken down and ask her for a ride. Now some might say this is corroboration of what Krista said, but think it through. First of all, Krista has been very clear that she did not hear Adnan say his car was in the shop. She only heard him ask Hay for a ride, and she assumed that his car must have been in the shop or with his brother, because she's not there in the afternoons and didn't know that he gets rides with Hay every day, even when he has his car. No one ever actually heard Adnan say there was anything wrong with his car. Also, if this was all pre-planned the day before, then why take his car to school at all? Surely lots of people would see Adnan pull into the school in his car. Possibly even Hay would see him. If this was really something he planned the day before, 
he would have gotten a ride to school and shown up without his car. And again, as I've mentioned before, he didn't need his car to be in the shop to get a ride. Several witnesses said Adnan got rides from Hay almost every day, even when he had his car. But Ritz and McGillivray don't know that yet. And that's what we're doing here. We're trying to source these mistakes. They created a problem for themselves because they didn't know that Adnan always asked her for a ride. All they know is that Adnan had told Adcock that he had asked for a ride that day. That's what they're working off of here. Adnan's own words, where he said he had asked for a ride and that he didn't take it. When you look closely at all this stuff, it doesn't take a lot of effort to figure out why nothing adds up. We know the logic is flawed because we've seen all the later interviews, but the detectives are trying to build a story off of the limited information they have at this point. Something that's really going to bite them in the ass in just a little bit. So Jay goes on to say that Adnan called him later that night, and we get another interruption and another apology. McGillivary, and that night he contacted you again? Jay, yes. McGillivary, and made plans to meet with you on the 13th. Jay, yes, to come. I'm sorry. McGillivary interrupts, where he could give you his car and cell phone to assist him. Jay, yes, end quote. I'll continue pointing these moments out, but I won't harp on them all. It's just important for you to know that they're there because they're telling us something. Not only is Jay reacting to some kind of direction or prompt, but it's also very clear who is in charge here, and more so, whose story this actually is. Jay's trying to stay in McGillivary's good graces. He's not just saying, oh yeah, every time he says that he's sorry. And again, when people say, Jay said that Adnan gave him his car and phone, listen to it again. It's McGillivary who says, and Adnan made plans with you on the 13th, and where he could give you his car and cell phone to assist him. McGillivary is the one telling this story, not Jay. I'll move on and try to get going a little faster. I know you all like these long episodes, but I do not have time to edit a two-hour marathon this week, so we're going to try to speed it up. So Jay says the next day, Adnan called him and picked him up. They went to the Security Square Mall and they shopped. This time, it was for Stephanie's gift. Remember, that wasn't part of the narrative in the last interview. He drops Adnan back off at school and note here that Jay says that Adnan left him his cell phone so that he could call him later. That's going to be really important shortly. The purpose of Adnan leaving Jay his cell phone is so that he can call him on it later when it's time to pick him up. Just remember that. So Jay says he drops him off and goes to Jen's. And McGillivary makes sure to get Jay on the record again, saying that he knew that the reason that he had the car on the phone was because Adnan was going to kill Hay. Quote, McGillivary. Okay, now at this point, you know why he's leaving the car with you. Jay, yes. And why is that? Because he said he was going to kill Hay. And the reason you have the car on the cell phone was why? To pick him up from wherever he was going to do this at. Okay, and you had talked about this why you were shopping that day. The details of uh, the car and all. McGillivary. The events, how they were going to plan out. Jay. He, he, that day he told me, yes. He told me, um, I'm going to leave you with my cell phone in my car. I need you to come get me. Yes. McGillivary. After? Jay. After he killed Hay. Yes. End quote. Hot damn, we got a new sponsor, and it's the one I've been waiting for. Because I've been a fan of Factor for a long time, way before this. Get started on your resolutions with Factor so you're ready for the new year. Factor's ready-to-eat meal delivery takes the stress out of meal planning and sets you up for success in the new year. Skip the grocery stores, prep work, and the cooking fatigue. Instead, get chef-crafted, dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. They have over 35 meals to choose from per week, including options like keto, calorie smart, vegan plus veggie, and more. So forget frantic lunch preps and rush dinners. Factors two-minute meals are your secret weapon in the new year. Fuel up fast with restaurant-quality meals all delivered right to your door. I always keep Factor meals on hand for my lunches before I go to teach in the afternoons. They're so quick, easy, and delicious you can't beat it. And Factor now offers loads of snack options like breakfast, smoothies, juices, snacks, and more to keep you going no matter what's on the schedule. 
So skip the overpriced takeout trap. Factor's cheaper and way more delicious than takeout. These are chef-crafted, restaurant-quality meals delivered right to your door. They're ready to heat and eat in just two minutes, which means more time for you. And when things get hectic, Factor's flexible. Change your order up every week with plans from 4 to 18 meals per week or pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Stress less over mealtimes in the new year. Factors no prep, no mess meals, free up time, otherwise spent shopping, cooking, and cleanup. No more wasting time in the kitchen. Factor has everything I need for a week of flavorful, nutritious eats. In addition to their ready-to-eat meals, they have cold-pressed juices, smoothies, energy bites, extra protein, veggie sides, and more to keep me energized during frantic times. Head to factormeals.com slash truth50 and use code truth50 to get 50% off. That's code truth50 at factormeals.com slash truth50 to get 50% off. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Bloomingdale's, Levi's, and Zappos. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Jay says he dropped Adnan off at school at 12.45 or 1 o'clock. Then in this version, he says he went to Jen's house and only her brother was home. Now, this is subtle, but it's a difference from the last interview. Last time, he said he went to his friend Mark's house and Mark's sister Jen got home later and joined them playing video games. But this time, it's Jen's house and her brother Mark was there. Like I said, it's subtle, but the shift makes Jen the centerpiece instead of Mark. And remember last time, we never heard about Jen picking him up or wiping off shovels or any of that. Really, Jen was barely a blip in his first story. He said that later that evening, he and Jen were driving around, and he told her just a few details. That's it. But in this version, Jen is front and center in the story. To me, it seems like Jay had told Jen to go ahead and talk to the police between the interview where she said she didn't know anything and her recorded interview. And Jen and Jay both said as much, that they had that conversation between those interviews. But I don't think Jen talked to Jay after she gave that interview. It seems clear from Jay's first interview that he didn't know Jen had already talked to the police at that point, which is why their stories are so different. Jen took the few details Jay gave her and filled in some blanks, but Jay didn't know about the fill-ins. So here, Jay says he and Mark are playing video games, and Jen gets home around 1.30. And for anyone who thinks that the lies Jay's telling are just to protect Jen, uh, try again. Because he throws her right under the bus here. McGillivray asks him if he discussed the plan ahead of time with Jen. And Jay says yes. At some point, they left and went to get drinks. This is why he's waiting for the call. And Jay told her that he thinks Adnan is going to kill Hay. And you see what McGillivray just did there? I know this is considered crazy conspiracy theory for some people. But in the first five minutes of this interview, he just got Jay to confess that both he and Jen knew the murder was going to happen ahead of time. They are both now in a lot of trouble. Now, Jen, of course, never faces any charges and Jay never serves any jail time. That's all after they played ball. Right now, in this moment, they're both in deep shit. And McGillivary makes sure to make it worse. 
Jay says he told Jen, quote, I think that uh, Adnan was going to kill Hay, end quote. And then this exchange follows, quote, McGillivary, you didn't think, you knew. Jay, I, McGillivary interrupts, he told you he was going to. Jay, lots of people say things, but that's, McGillivary interrupts again, but he told you. Jay, yes, McGillivary, and you had his car, and you had his cell phone. Yes. Okay, and you told Jennifer this. Yes, while you were sitting in her car. Yes. End quote. Seems like Jay's starting to realize what's happening here. That little bit was his first pushback. When he tried to say, well, lots of people say things, but McGillivary wasn't having it. He makes crystal clear that Jay and Jen didn't just think, they knew Hay was going to be murdered, didn't do anything about it. Jay then says that he left at about 3.40 to pick up Adnan. And listen to this next bit. Remember, there's no call on the cell phone log at 3.40 or 3.45. And this was a huge problem in the last interview, and like I told you, gets corrected here. Now keep in mind before you hear this, that Jay has just said, multiple times, and McGillivary has said, multiple times that the reason Jay had the phone was for Adnan to call him to pick him up. Literally, that was the entire purpose. But then, listen to this. McGillivary, had you gotten a phone call from him? Jay, yes, on the cell phone. While you were at Jennifer's house? Not on the cell phone while I was at Jen's. He had called on a hard line while I was at Jen's, and then, um, McGillivary, Adnan called on the cell phone. Jay, yes. Then McGillivary says something inaudible. He's mumbling. Jay responds, I know. I'm sorry. Adnan called on the hard line while I was at Jen's house. McGillivary. Okay. End quote. Huh? So Adnan called the cell phone. Wait, it was a landline. And this time we actually hear McGillivary prompt Jay. We can't hear what he says, but he says something that's inaudible. And there it is again. I know, I'm sorry. Adnan called on the hard line. Even if you think Adnan's guilty, give me a fucking break. I'm willing to accept that you can think that the police fed this story to Jay and still think Adnan is guilty. Whatever. But if you're over there acting like it's some crazy conspiracy to conclude that McGillivary is leading here, you're not that stupid. Nobody is. It's incredibly obvious. Besides McGillivary muttering and Jay apologizing, I know, I'm sorry, Adnan called the hard line. If he was going to call on the hard line, then why the hell did Jay have the phone at all? When did Jay give Adnan Jen's phone number? Adnan doesn't know Jen. I mean, the theory here is that Adnan got the phone specifically to commit this murder. Then he gives it to Jay so that he can call the landline of a person he doesn't know to have Jay pick him up? It's ridiculous. But source the lie. You should always source the lie. Who would benefit from that call coming into the landline instead of the cell phone? The answer is obvious. The detective who knows that there's no call on the cell phone. That's who. This isn't Jay's story. It's McGillivary's story. Now listen to how Jay completely contradicts what he had just said about the call coming in on Jen's landline. And then confirms it again while also trying to explain the 236 and the 315 call and a mystery third call that doesn't appear on the log at all. It's very clear to see why Brett and Alice keep trying to get you to not pay attention to the details of this interview. Why they say it's not important that Jay's lying. See, that's the thing. The easy solution to the problem is to just say everything is wrong because Jay lies. But if you actually read the transcript, it's pretty clear to see that he's not intentionally lying. He's confused. He is trying his damnedest to make a square peg fit into a round hole. Like I've said over and over again, Jay's story sucks because there is no story that can work. It's impossible to create a narrative that actually fits this evidence that shows that Adnan even could be guilty, much less that he is guilty. So listen to this exchange. And remember, Jay had just said on McGillivary's prompting that the come get me call was on Jen's landline. Quote, Jay, um, he had told me he was, he, inaudible, he was going to need me to pick him up at a certain time. That was 3.30. I waited until 3.30. He didn't call. 
I left the house uh, with his car and cell phone, McGillivary. Meanwhile, while while you were at Jennifer's house, did you receive any phone calls on your cell, on Adnan's cell? Yes. And how many calls did you receive? Three. And what was the nature of the calls? Um, one was uh, to check to see if the phone was on. And who made that call? Adnan. Uh, the other was, uh, the other was, I was telling him that I was going to be there. That's where I was going to be at. That was the second one. And the third one, I can't remember. It was very short. I can't remember what we conversated about. McGillivary. And then is when he called you on Jennifer's telephone? Jay. Yes. And that was giving you instructions or what was the phone conversation? Uh, I'm leaving school. He told me he was leaving school then. McGillivary, where did he tell you he was going? He didn't say he, he just said he was leaving school, told me, I assumed he was leaving with Hay, but he just said he was leaving school, end quote. So in round one, Jay waits at Jen's and Adnan calls on her landline to tell him to come get him. Then after some prompting, the call was supposed to come at 3.30, but after 3.40, Adnan hadn't called yet, so Jay left. Then more prompting, and now before Jay left, Adnan actually had called him three times. He's not waiting anymore. There had actually been three three calls. Once to check to see if the phone was on. Once for Jay to tell Adnan he was going to be at Jen's. Uh, so Adnan called Jay so that Jay could tell him he was going to be at Jen's. Uh, then a third call for Adnan to say that he was leaving school before the actual come get me call. And again, this is chalked up to Jay lying, and he obviously is, but he's not lying for his own reasons. He's lying because he's being told to lie. He's trying to make sense of what he's being told to say. There's a document in the case file called Jay's Chronology. It's supposedly the notes taken from this interview, but if you read along with the transcript, you can see that it was clearly created before the interview. Not only are there parts out of order from when Jay said them, But those parts align with all these times when Jay says he's sorry and goes back to something that he missed or got wrong. Personally, I think Jay's scared, he's nervous, and he's doing his absolute best in this interview to tell the detectives what they want to hear, which is extremely difficult because they created this chronology based on phone records, and the phone records actually alibi Adnan. So now you're trying to create a story where Adnan's guilty using records that actually alibi him. So we end up with all this nonsense. I had the cell phone so Adnan could call me to pick him up. He hadn't called by 3.30, so I left. Oh, wait, no. First, he called three times on the cell phone. Then I left, but then he called on the landline after I left. But I was there when he called. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. And all of that, that's just no problem because we'll just say, well, Jay's a liar. And that explains everything away. And think about the logistics of what Jay just said, if you can figure out what he's trying to say. So he says Adnan called him three times before he left school. Three times. Now, at best, there's two calls, 236 and 315. We know Hay was gone well before 315, but ignore all that for a second. Jay has Adnan's cell phone. Per the state, Adnan has been planning to get in Hay's car with her after school since the day before. So, while he's with her, to get in her car, he stops to use a payphone three times to call Jay. Come on, even you, you know who you are, don't really believe that. And this is why I said that by the time this is over, anyone claiming Adnan is guilty will have to create a narrative completely void of evidence and completely void of Jay's story, while still claiming that Jay is the evidence that proves Adnan's guilty. They'll propose a version of events that doesn't involve anything Jay said at all. They'll just make it up. I mean, that's pretty much what Yurik did at trial. Remember the 236 come get me call? There's zero evidence to suggest that actually happened. It was a fairy tale. And despite what some might say, that's not normal. It's not normal for the prosecutor to have to completely make up a fictional scenario that is completely void of any evidence in order to get a conviction. In a case where there's a direct witness, that's not normal. Now, as Jay goes on, the come get me call moves back to the cell phone again. He says that since Adnan hadn't called him by 3.30, he left Jen's house and he heads home. 
and Adnan called him while he was on his way home to tell Jay to meet him at Best Buy. I mean, this is, you can't make this up. This is literally just minutes after he just said the call came on the landline. But conveniently, Jay has now moved into the coverage area where the incoming 315 call pinged to take the come get me call. A call that three minutes earlier he just said happened on Jen's landline, but forget that. Oh, and two weeks earlier said that happened at Jen's house, but on the cell phone. And not for nothing, but in the last interview, there was no Best Buy at all. The call told him to go meet Adnan on a strip in Edmondson Avenue. And then here we see another instance of Jay missing a bullet point on the chronology that supposedly wasn't written until after this interview. Listen to him go from, I was on the phone with Adnan, to Adnan closes the trunk with nothing in between. McGillivary. How long does it take you to get from the time he calls you to tell you that Hay was dead? Jay, yes. McGillivary, until the time you get to Best Buy. Jay, um, he started to tell me about the story. He said, uh, I think she was trying to say something, and then I cut him off right there because it's a little disturbing, and he uh, closed the trunk and told me to follow him. So he got into Hay, Hay, Hay's car, and I got into his car, and I followed him, end quote. Well, first of all, what does the yes mean? Your guess is as good as mine. McGillivary's mid-sentence asking about how long the drive took, and Jay says yes in the middle of it. Again, he's reacting to something that we're not hearing, and also keep in mind Rich is right there in the room too, who we don't hear from until later. But his response to how long does it take to drive to Best Buy is, Adnan started telling me about the story and I cut him off and he closed the trunk and I followed him? It's kind of an odd response, don't you think? Almost like Jay's not telling a story, but instead he's reading one. And he clearly missed a line. Next, Jay says he followed Adnan to the park and ride to dump Hay's car. That part's consistent with what he said last time. But this time he says that Adnan gets a bunch of stuff out of Hay's car and puts it in his own before they leave. And that's a direct conflict. In the last interview, Jay specifically said that he didn't remove anything from the car. So, why the change? That's what we should always be asking. Why? When something's wrong, why is it wrong? Well, remember last week we had a big problem. Adnan was at track practice that day, and at this point, he's not dressed for track. So first, listen to this exchange while you're trying to source the reason for that change. Quote, McGillivary. The items that he took out of uh, Hayes' car, what were they? Jay. Um, I know one of them to be his track bag. End quote. Bingo. Problem solved. Of all the things that could have been moved from the car, what's the first thing Jay suddenly remembers that Adnan took from her car? His track bag, which Jay goes on to describe in detail. This tells me a couple things. One, which I already knew, is that this story is completely created by McGillivary. The only utility for all of this is to patch holes in his case. And none of these changes are things that Jay would not remember. Like the location of the trunk pop, or where the call came in, or Adnan just getting out of the car without grabbing anything, then change to a detailed description of the track bag. All of that benefits McGillivary, not Jay. But the other thing it tells me is that McGillivary knows at this point that Adnan didn't do this. There's only one reason to make sure you put his track bag in his hands at this point. And that's because you already know that he was at track practice that day, or at least you think he was. Next, we now have the introduction of the call to Patrick, Jay's dealer. That's a call we see in the log, but it wasn't part of Jay's first story at all. But now Jay says he calls Patrick to get some weed, but watch how Jay misreads the notes in front of him and has to correct himself again. Quote, and why did you call him? J, to get narcotics. McGillivary, to get narcotics? J, I'm sorry, marijuana, end quote. If this wasn't so fucking tragic, it would be funny. It doesn't take a rocket science to pick up on what happened there. Jay's reading from a document, and he says narcotics. McGillivary repeats it back to him, and then there it is again. I'm sorry, marijuana. Nothing to see here, folks, just a fellow remembering what he did that day. Here's more evidence that Jay's reading rather than remembering. This is where Jay says that the call to Patrick went to his machine, but his message was about four minutes long. I already addressed this a while back. It was less than a 30-second call, 
but it happened at 3.59, which looks a lot like just shy of four minutes on paper. And then comes the smoking gun, the Nisha call. I've been waiting for weeks to share this with you all. We've already decimated the possibility of the Nisha call being Jay and Adnan together, but here is a part where Brett and Alice really drive their point home. Here, Jay says Adnan talked to a friend on the phone and put him on the line, confirmation of the Nisha call. First, I want to point out that Brett and Alice really chose their words very carefully here and completely misrepresent what Jay says for good reason, if you're trying to prove the point they're trying to prove. They say that Jay says Adnan calls a friend that Jay doesn't know. Then they say how true it rings because Jay doesn't know this person. But Jay doesn't say it was a friend. What he said was that it was a girl. And while he doesn't know her, somehow he does know that she lives in Silver Springs, where Nisha lives, information you could get from her phone number. That's just a bit of sleight of hand on their part. Just a little lie to make things make sense, which was much easier when they didn't read how this actually came about. Remember, there was no Nisha call in Jay's first version. But listen to how it plays out. So Jay just gets done describing the call to Patrick. Then he says they go to a corner dealer and buy two dime bags. Then they go somewhere else and buy some blunts, which are cheap cigars that they remove the tobacco from and replace with marijuana, if you didn't know. And then McGillivary stops him. Listen again for Jay's reaction to the prompting. Quote McGillivary, During the trip from uh, Route 70 over to Forest Park, were you uh, buy marijuana? Jay, yes. You made the phone call to your friend? Yes. McGillivary, first? Jay, oh. McGillivary, and he wasn't there. Did anybody else use the phone? Jay. Yeah, um, Adnan, I can't remember whether he received a call or placed a call, but I do remember he was talking to a girl. Um, I can't remember her name. He put me on the phone with her for like three minutes. I said hello to her. McGillivary, where did she live? Jay, uh, Silver Springs, end quote. There's your smoking gun. Jay remembers the Nisha call. Except, did he? McGillivary says, first, Jay reacts to something. Oh, then did anybody else use the phone? Then Jay remembers the about three minute call from a girl from Silver Springs. Again, seems legit. Uh, Oh, by the way, it also gets worse because here he says he talked to her for about three minutes. uh, But then he says that she and Adnan were on the phone for like 10 or 15 minutes. A long conversation, he says, which, of course, it was just over two minutes. The actual call. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Bloomingdale's, Levi's, and Zappos. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
Jay goes on to say that after the Nisha call, he and Adnan proceed to Patapsco State Park to the cliff. There, they roll up a blunt. Now, I've never personally done this, but I've seen it done. Someone with experience, correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I've seen, it's not a short process rolling a blunt. It takes a little bit of time, just in case you're still trying to make sense of the timeline. But Jay says that while at the cliff, after rolling the blunt, they smoke it while Adnan tells Jay about how he killed Hay. He says they were there for 20 minutes to half an hour. Then Jay describes them finally leaving the park. Quote, McGillivary. Okay, uh, what happens then? Jay. We leave there, uh, I believe you can bear with me for a minute. I, um, okay. We left there, uh, I take him, I took him back to school and I dropped him off. End quote. So what do you think? Do you think that he's thinking here or is he reading, trying to find his place? Um, okay, we left there. Then, of course, comes the alibi creation. McGillivary asks why Jay dropped Adnan back at school, and now we get the first introduction of track practice from Jay, but even that takes a little more prompting from McGillivary. Quote, McGillivary, why did you take him back to school? Jay, he told me that I had to take him back to school because he needed to be seen there. McGillivary, so he basically wanted you to go back to school to be seen by who? Jay, uh, his co-students, I guess. I mean, a couple of classmates. McGillivary, was he going to a certain event? Jay, ah, his practice, his track practice. McGillivary, track practice? Jay, yes. McGillivary, so he wanted an alibi. Jay, yes, end quote. McGillivary finally gets Jay there. It was track practice, and McGillivary, not Jay, suggests that it was to create an alibi. Now, if you're doing the math, we do have one anchor in this story, the call to Patrick. We know that that call ended right at 4 p.m. So if the call to Patrick is actually something that actually happened with Adnan in the car with Jay after the murder, we can start the clock at 4 p.m. Then comes a trip to the corner dealer, then a trip to buy blunts, then a trip to Patapsco, then rolling the blunt, smoking the blunt, then the drive back to school, being extremely gracious, that would take no less than an hour. In reality, much longer than that. So it would be 5 p.m. when Adnan gets to practice, over an hour after it started, and he never changed into his track clothes in Jay's story. It's kind of tough to square that with Coach Sai saying that he talked to Adnan while he was stretching at the beginning of practice, the practice that he showed up to on time, which started no later than 4. So the actual evidence proves that Adnan was at track no later than 4 o'clock, but Jay's story puts him just beginning his journey to buy weed and going to the cliffs to smoke at 4 o'clock. But if we just say, well, Jay lies, we can just forget all about that. And really, the story gets worse because when asked where he dropped Adnan off, Jay says in the front of the school. Track practice was down at the track at the back of the school. I mean, really, you can't make this shit up. Well, actually, yes, you can. That's exactly what they're doing here. But now, using the actual evidence in the file, you have to square Coach Sai confirming that Adnan was at the beginning of practice stretching, which is 4 p.m. at the very latest, and Jay saying that at the earliest, he dropped Adnan off after 5 p.m. up at the school, in the front of the school, and he has yet to change into his track clothes. And understand, we're not talking about a faulty memory here. Like we always say, People don't note exact times. That's normal when people don't remember dates and times because people aren't staring at their watches all day. This story is based on Jay just recounting his experiences. Experiences that have anchors. The call to Patrick. We have a solid time for that. It's on the call log. The buying weed. Then buying blunts. Then driving to the cliffs. Then rolling blunts. Then smoking. The conversation that they had while sitting at the cliff smoking the blunt. Then the drive back to school. Those are all solid anchors. Those are the things that we look for to figure out times. But in Jay's case, all he's actually doing is proving he's full of shit. And it's abundantly clear that McGillivary doesn't know as much as he thinks he does at this point. Remember, Adnan is on the indoor track team. And they usually practice, you guessed it, indoors. And no one has talked to Coach Sai yet. So listen to how McGillivary and Jay clarify the drop-off. I've actually never caught this before, but it's really actually kind of huge. Quote, McGillivary, 
You leave after you dropped Adnan off. Jay, uh-huh. McGillivary, in the front? Jay, right. McGillivary, circle, correct? Right. He goes in the front. Yes. End quote. So Jay dropped Adnan off in the front circle of the school, and Adnan went inside the front. I put an aerial view of the school on our website because you have to see just how stupid of a mistake this was. Look at where the front circle is and look at where the track is. You're going to have to decide whether you feel like laughing or crying when you see it. It's a huge school, so huge that Adnan almost daily would have Hay give him a ride from the front to the back of the school for practice. And that's just to get to the indoor track. The outdoor track is also in the back, but it's another quarter of a mile away. So Adnan needs to be seen at practice, so he has Jay drop him off over an hour late at the furthest possible point on school grounds from the track. This is a crystal clear indicator that McGillivary is the one creating the story, and he doesn't know that track practice was outside that day. Next up, we find the most obvious example of McGillivary creating this narrative. Huge shout out to Susan Simpson for figuring this one out. In this new version of the story, Jay now says that after he drops Adnan off, he goes to Christie's house. At first, this seems like it came completely out of left field. Like, who the hell is Christie? She wasn't mentioned in the first interview. But Susan, while examining the cell coverage map that the detectives had created just before this interview, realized exactly why Christie's house came into play. Because this map had the Dorchester Road Tower mislabeled. It was placed in the wrong spot on the map, so when a call during this time pings that tower, it appears to cover Christie's house. So, of course, now we add in a trip to Christie's to tidy things up. And we know for a fact that Jay didn't go to Christie's at this point because she wasn't home. But we also know because the phone was actually pinging the tower that covers Jay's house where he said he went the first time. So, again, source the mistake. At the time of Jay's first interview, the map they had then showed a call covering Jay's house, so he says in the story that he went to his house. But then the detectives get a new map, and on this one, the tower location incorrectly shows that a call connected near Christie's house, and the story changes to map the new incorrect map. This isn't complicated, it's pretty proof positive that despite us all being called crazy, wacky conspiracy theorists, Jay was absolutely 100% fed this story by detectives. There's no other explanation for him changing the stories to match the incorrect cell tower maps other than that's what was fed to him by the police. So after that, Jay then says that Adnan called him to be picked up at track practice at 5.45 p.m. He said 6.45 in the last one. He says he picked Adnan up and they went back to Christie's house. And remember in his last interview, there were zero trips to Christie's. In this one, we have Jay going there while Adnan's at track which we know is not true, and now a second trip. In the original story from his interview two weeks prior, he and Adnan had gone to McDonald's at this point, and they were eating there when Adcock called Adnan. And again, these are not reasonable changes. Saying the pickup from track was at 545 when the phone records indicate it was before 538, that's reasonable. But completely changing the place, circumstance, and company you were in when the police called is not reasonable. Jay's changing this story based on where McGillivary thinks the phone was during certain phone calls. And then Jay becomes the patsy. Jay lies. But this isn't Jay's story. So after this, McGillivary asks if Adnan said anything about track practice. So of course, Jay taking the nudge that he wants a story makes one up. Adnan told him that he had to run a lot at practice because he was late. Now, does that sound like Adnan struck up a conversation to create an alibi? Well, first of all, as we know from the coach, Adnan wasn't late. And we know he didn't run at all that day because he was fasting. But hell, if we're going to move practice from outside to inside, why not go all the way and make the story even more absurd? Jay says that while they're still at Christie's house, Adnan gets the call from Adcock. And he tells Jay that they have to go back to the park and ride to get rid of Hay's body. And here's Jay explaining what happened next. Quote, we go back to 70 Park and Ride. Um, he gets out of his car, tells me to follow him. We get, he gets into her car. Um, he drives it. We drove um, around to a whole bunch of different places, uh, some off of uh, Roland Road, uh, some off Dogwood Road. Uh, finally, he goes down past Leakin Park. He, uh, he um, no, this is wrong. I'm sorry. I missed something. 
we leave Christy and Jeff's house, and uh, I ask him to drop me off. And we go back to my house. And when we're standing on my porch, that's when he tells me that we have to go back. We have to get rid of the body. We have to get rid of the body. There's two shovels that are kept with tools next to my porch. Um, there's picks, axes, all kinds of stuff along with it there. Um, he grabs the shovels and says, we have to get rid of the body. Have to get rid of the body. And I, I tell him, um, I don't have anything to do with it. And he tells me he knows what I do. He knows who I'm associated with and that he could turn me into the authorities. So I get back in the car. End quote. Again, Jay starts telling a story. Then, no, this is wrong. I'm sorry. I missed something. And then also note how Jay repeats things a couple times. We have to get rid of the body. We have to get rid of the body. Almost sounds like he's reading something. But take note for the purpose of timing that after they pick up Hayes' car, they drive all over to a bunch of places before they end up in Leakin Park. We have a couple anchors to work off of. We know that the call from Adcock ended at 6.29 p.m. And Jay says there's still Christie's at that point. So the clock is ticking. Jay has exactly 40 minutes to get from there to he and Adnan being in the middle of burying Hayes' body when he says that Jen calls. And that now has to include a ride to Jay's house, an argument, getting the shovels and picks, going to get the car, driving around to a bunch of different places before finally landing at Leakin Park. You get the idea. There's still more before we ever get to the burial part. Jay says there's no phone activity between leaving his house and them getting to the park and ride is another screw up because at 6.59 we have a call from Adnan to his friend Yasser and at 7 o'clock we have a call to Jen's pager which indicates they're together in the same car still at this point since Jay doesn't know Yasser and Adnan doesn't know Jen or her pager number. In the cell location show that they're not at Jay's house they're up by Woodlawn. But Jay says they drive around for a while end up at Leakin Park and Adnan asks Jay to help bury the body. Jay says no, and he ends up waiting in Adnan's car while Adnan drags Hay into the woods. When Jay's trying to explain how he then went with Adnan to actually dig the hole, McGillivary trips him up. He wants to know how they found their way back to where the body was. McGillivary, I mean, it's a wooded area. Jay, yes. Did you take a specific route back there? Jay, we followed the path. It wasn't, McGillivary interrupts, you followed a path. Jay. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't very far. McGillivary, is there a visible path in the... Jay interrupts, no. End quote. It's a small detail, but another important one. There was no path through the woods there. No path leading to the burial site. But of course, Jay doesn't know that. So when McGillivary keeps prompting him, asking how they found the spot, Jay eventually makes up another detail. We followed the path. If you read the transcript, you can see that what McGillivary was really getting at was he was trying to get Jay to say that Adnan had scoped the area out ahead of time, that Adnan had been there before. But Jay doesn't pick up on that, so he says there's a path. McGillivary corrects him later and suggests that he must have meant the path of least resistance, not an actual path. As far as the details of the burial, you're just going to have to read the transcript for yourself. It's really, really confusing. Jay's clearly frantic and confused at this point. He's making no sense. He's digging. He's not digging. Adnan moved a car. He moved a car. At one point, he says he's waiting in the car for over 30 minutes while Adnan is digging. It's all gobbledygook nonsense. So let's just say, then they bury Hay's body. And here we have Jay's very clear recollection of Jen calling during the burial. Quote, um, during the time of this digging, we received a phone call to, uh, cause I was supposed to meet some people in, uh, a couple of minutes. And I remember when I was waiting for, um, for him, when I was trying to pick out the spot, I had remembered, I supposed to meet some people and received a phone call from them. And I didn't even get a chance to talk to, um, he told, uh, that, uh, I was busy and that, uh, I had to call him back End quote. Now, he says that he didn't know at the time, but he later learned that that call was from Jen. But in his story, he's stumbling through. It's people that he's supposed to meet. Somebody calls. One point, he says the call came in while he was waiting, which was when he was still out in the car. But then it, it just all keeps changing over and over. This whole section of the transcript is all over the place. It's not nearly as clear as it's made out to be that Jay just says we're digging a hole and Jen calls. You just heard exactly how that came out. 
And then next comes the bit that you heard on Serial where McGillivary is getting frustrated. Jay says they leave the burial site and head to the Westview Mall and starts to describe a conversation he and Adnan are having. He totally forgot about dumping the car, and McGillivary jumps in with, You've got two cars. Obviously, they can't be talking to each other while driving two separate vehicles. And this is where, if you read it, you can see that Jay's working off of a script, the Jay's chronology document. Quote, Jay. Oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. Uh, I'm missing top spots. End quote. Remember that bit? Then he gets back on script and says they leave the burial site and drive all over the city looking for a place to dump the car. They drop the car off. Adnan gets stuff out of Hayes' car, mostly anything that could identify her. And of course, the red gloves. And he puts it all back into his own car and they leave. They go to the Westview Mall and Adnan throws all the stuff into a bunch of dumpsters. Then Adnan drops Jay off at his house. After Adnan drops him off, Jay pages Jen. And when she calls him back, he tells her he needs to talk to her about something important. She then drives to his house and picks him up. He had put all the clothes he was wearing that night into a trash bag to take with him. I know it's beating a dead horse, but this is pretty fucking far away from Jen's story about the pickup. Then there's a really jumbled up section where Jay's trying to say how he then told Jen that Adnan killed Hay, but he had already said that he had told Jen about it ahead of time. So, in theory, in this story, she already knew that Adnan was going to do it. And McGillivray seems to be getting really frustrated because Jay's messing up his story. And it just gets worse and worse when Jay's talking about putting his clothes in the dumpster, including his boots. No, wait, it's not his boots. That happened the next day. McGillivary tells him he's contradicting himself. This is all building up to Jay asking him to stop the tape. It reads to me like Jay started this interview thinking they were on the same team, and now McGillivary is starting to hammer away at him. Again, I'm running pretty long here, so you're going to have to read all of this if you want the full shit show. At one point, Jay has to backtrack and change another location because he needs to add in a trip to wipe fingerprints off the shovels. None of this was part of his first interview. Then they stop by Stephanie's, then they go to Christie's, he says that he tells Christy that if the cops ever come to her, for her to say that Adnan was never there. And that drops right out of the narrative later when the police talk to Christy and figure out real quick that that never happened. But Jay trying to make up this story is a pretty amusing read, actually. Like the part where he tells Jeff that Adnan had killed his girlfriend, and Jeff said, Aw, snap. And so that's the end of Jay's story. And at this point, Ritz jumps in now and walks through it again. I'm not going to continue on analyzing every detail a second time. I think you get the picture. Ritz had been noting some of the problems in Jay's story, and he's trying to clean things up. It, of course, doesn't work because you can't shine shit. I'm going to end with the part where Jay wants to stop the tape. Ritz is now really pushing that Jay should have called the police, and Jay is realizing he's in trouble now. I think he thought the deal was he would tell them what they wanted to hear, and he'd walk away scot-free. Here's the exchange. Quote, Ritz. He gets in her car and you're driving his car. At that point, there's a phone booth on the other side of the building and you're driving off the parking lot. Why don't you stop your car and say, call the police and say someone just committed a murder. There's a body in the trunk of the car. Jay. I don't know. I just feared and I, I, and you don't understand like, like how it is. Ritz. Who are you afraid of? If you make an anonymous call, you give a description of her car. Give a description of Adnan and say there's a body in the trunk of that car. You give them the tag number of the car. Jay, can we stop for a second? A few seconds? Ritz, well, if you have any questions, you can ask me on tape. Jay, I don't understand this line of questioning. Inaudible. End quote. Does that sound to you like Jay thought this was a legitimate interview? He's admitted to knowing beforehand that Adnan was going to kill Hay. He's admitted to helping plan the murder and helping to conceal the body and the crime afterwards. And yet he's genuinely surprised when Ritz wants to know why he didn't call the police. I don't understand this line of questioning. He doesn't understand because this wasn't part of the deal. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production. All music for the show is created and composed by Shane Yoder at PutThemInASong.com. The font you see on all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. 
Katie Ross of createdintandem.com design, created, manages, and maintains our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our volunteer transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Courtney Wimberly, Erica Cantor, Melissa Cardenas, Kaywood Yomnik, and Danielle Rohr. And as always, thank you to all of you for your engagement and your support. If you like the show and you want to support us, you can do that in a number of ways. The number one way for you to support our work is to become a patron at patreon.com slash truth and justice. If you join our Patreon, not only will you be financially supporting our work, but you'll also get something for your pledge. For just $5 per month, you'll get all episodes ad-free and also a video version of the Friday follow-ups that include an hour-long pre-show chat exclusive to our patrons. Other levels will get you a Truth and Justice Army t-shirt, Truth and Justice hats, and even the opportunity to co-host a Friday follow-up episode. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice to sign up. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. It doesn't cost you a penny, and it goes a long way towards making the show more visible. If you have a case that you'd like us to consider covering, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page, follow us on Instagram, or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod, and I can be found on social media at BobRuffTruth. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.